a fabringen in yiddish a term meaning a joyous gathering but it's really so much more it's insight it's inspiration it's the bottom line join rabbi levi afton tuesdays at 1 p.m. for the fabringen only on 101.9 high fm We are standing just before Pesach, and Pesach is an incredible Chag. It is one of the, if not the most popular holidays in the Jewish calendar. They say that there are many people who, for them, the three biggest parts of Judaism is circumcision, Yom Kippur, and Pesach. It really talks to the soul, and it has a very powerful resonance. Now, Also today is an Israeli election, and usually if an Israeli election happened once in four years, it would be, you know, maybe apropos to talk about the election because it's more rare. But with four elections in two years, um, Pesach is more rare than elections. Who would imagine? So we're going to stay with Pesach also because Pesach hopefully is there to transform us much more than an election ever can. So I, I want to do a thought experiment with the, the listeners, and I want you to think about this. If you're familiar with the Jewish calendar, you'll know that there are many chagim, many holidays, each one with its own identity, with its own customs. And when each chag comes, we say a blessing. Baruch atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Olam, blessed are you, are God, King of the universe, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav, who commanded us with his mitzvot, with his commandments, or better translated, he commanded us and he gave us the opportunity to connect with him. He's given us connecting opportunities. The word tzivanu, mitzvah, doesn't only mean commandment, it means connection point. So God gave us the opportunity to connect. And then we do various finishing, you know, various closures to that custom, various endings. So for example, on Hanukkah, we'll say lahadlik, Near to light the candle of Hanukkah. Um, on Purim, we'll say God commanded us to read the Megillah. On Sukkot, we'll say Al-Natilat Lulav, to take the Lulav, the palm branch. We'll say Leisheba Sukkah, God commanded us to sit in the Sukkah. We'll say on Rosh Hashanah, Kol Shofar, to hear the sound of the Shofar. When we when women light the candles, we'll say lahadlik to light the candles of Shabbat and Yom Tov. So there's a lot of times that we say Asher Kitshanu b'mitzvotav that God commanded us with His mitzvot, and He commanded us to do the following. But Pesach is unique. Why is Pesach unique? Because we we say the bracha twice at the Seder night. Asher Kitshanu b'mitzvotav God commanded us one alachilat matzah to eat matzah. And two, alachilat maror, to eat bitter herbs. Okay, fine, wonderful. So what? Think about it. Every other example I brought, whether it was Sheikh Alulav, listen to something, pick something up, sit somewhere, nothing had to do with food. All of them were things that we did either with our hands, our ears, our bodies, when someone goes to mikvah, when a woman goes to mikvah, he says, God commanded us to, um, you know, put ourselves into the water, to dunk in the water, to submerge. Again, with our bodies, sit in a sukkah, listen to the shofar, listen to the megillah, light the candles, look at the candles. Lots of beautiful mitzvot. But there's something unique 
and special about Pesach, and that is that we say it over food. Why? Why is that so special? You see, unlike every other thing that we do, food is the only thing that you truly ingest in the most physical of senses. In other words, yes, whatever you see makes an imprint, and neurologically speaking, we've seen over science has proven in the last few years how every event that you go through, every thought you have creates new neuropathways. But in a very physical, tangible sense, the only the only um, item really that gives you weight gain and literally tangibly you can see the difference is food, specifically matzah. Pretty much everyone gains weight on Pesach. And what's the symbolism of that? It means it penetrates you and becomes part of you. It literally becomes your flesh, becomes your blood, becomes your fat. It becomes you. When you sit in a sukkah, yes, in a spiritual way, you're surrounded by the sukkah, but ultimately, you're still an independent reality. The sukkah didn't become part of you in a physical sense. When you went to the mikvah, unless you drink some of the water, which is not part of the mitzvah, the mikvah didn't become part of you. You go out, you dry yourself from the water, and that's it. Now, this is in no way diminishing those mitzvot, heaven forbid. But there's no question that there's something unique for food, and that is it becomes part of you. And that's why we see that Torah is referred to food. The Tanya, the great mystical text, explains at the beginning of the Tanya chapter 4 and 5, he explains the idea that food penetrates and becomes part of you, and therefore Torah is the same, because Torah literally shapes the way your mind is, it shapes the way you think things, and therefore the best analogy is that food that literally becomes part of you. So, like, over there he explains that when you do a mitzvah, you put tefillin on your arm, but your arm's still your arm. When you learn Torah, your brain actually, as we said, new neuropathways. And what's the analogy of that food? Because food is the ultimate example of something that truly penetrates you and changes you. You are what you eat. So, it's really the only time of the year that we say the words, Asher that God commanded us with his mitzvahs, and, and he told us to eat these foods. Now, yes, each, many chags have foods. You have pomegranates and apple and honey on Rosh Hashanah. There's not really special sukkah foods. Uh, Hanukkah, you have latkes and you have donuts and Purim, you, you have your party. And Shavuot, you have your cheesecake, but none of them are biblical um, commandments. And you never really say the blessing that God commanded us to eat this food. But now we're actually saying God commanded us to eat this food. Now, what's the message here? What am I getting at? I'm getting is that if God tells us on this holiday to eat something and that's the way we're going to build a connection, it means that the message of Pesach doesn't just have to penetrate us in a physical, in a spiritual sense. It has to affect you physically, just like food. The fact that Pesach, we come and we have to eat certain foods, not we have to be in certain spaces, not we have to be in certain meditations. Those are all great. No, you, you take a specific food, flour and water and then some lettuce or horseradish for maror. And you take that food and you ingest it. You chew it in an X amount of time, um, within whatever, under 10 minutes max, nine minutes, and preferably four to six minutes, etc. Um, you're taking that food and literally the mitzvah of the day is get this into yourself. Chew it, swallow it, get it into your body. It's such a you think about it, like, really? My gosh. I mean, I can understand. Sukkah, you sit in a sukkah, you're surrounded, 
by nature. There's something powerful about it. You hear the call of shofar. It, it, it awakens something within you. But why would God command us to such a mitzvah to just... Now, we said that eating is ingesting. It's really about it penetrating you. But what does that mean? What exactly about Pesach should be penetrating us? This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 High FM. Hello, everybody, and this is Rabbi Levi Avton of Linksfield Shul, and we've been talking about how Pesach has a unique a unique mitzvah, and that is that you eat something. The mitzvah is to eat. The mitzvah is to ingest. And we said that every mitzvah is important, but other mitzvahs you do with your arm, you do with your body, you do, um, you know, where you're sitting, how you're sitting, where you go. The mitzvah of Pesach is to eat something, and that eating literally becomes part of you, becomes part of your flesh. In other words, it truly penetrates you. Whether you intend for it or not, you eat that matzah, it's going to change you, if not spiritually, at least physically. The Zohar says that it affects us spiritually as well. It strengthens our faith and it brings healing. The faith is easy to get. The healing, how flour and water brings healing is a tough one, (laughs) at least from a dietary perspective. But yeah, if the Zohar says so, it definitely brings healing. It's about ingesting. It's about allowing it to take you over and really penetrate. You know, most of us have heard a lot of inspiring thoughts in our lifetime. Let's be honest. If you've been around this planet for a few years, you've heard lots of motivational stuff. You've been sent more motivational videos on WhatsApp um, in the last year than your grandparents saw in a lifetime. You have seen incredible quotes. You've gone to incredible conferences. You've heard incredible speakers give courses and powerful ideas. You've heard people with heartbreaking motivational stories motivating you. You've been brought to tears by an incredible drama, um, by incredible film or stage play. You've heard music that melted your heart and literally uplifted you. You've seen it all. Now, based on that amount of inspiration, let's use Talmudic logic, based on that amount of inspiration, you'd think that we'd be the most inspired individuals the world has ever seen. At least I could talk for myself and for the people you know that I, I know quite well. I wouldn't say that this is the most inspired generation in history and definitely not proportionate to the amount of inspiration it gets. So what's it? What, what about inspiration makes it feel so good, but ultimately rarely transforms us, rarely transforms us. Why do we all have such great ideas in our head, but not necessarily do we have great ideas the way we actually live our lives? Most people are very wise when it comes to give advice to other people, but not many people are wise to give themselves great advice. At weddings, people stand up and give you know great tips on uh, how to have a happy married life. And often those people who are giving those great tips, their marriage is kaha kaha, very average, if not less. So the question is, what about great ideas doesn't actually affect us? And there's many ways of looking at it. But one of the ways that Judaism and our sages teach us is it's not about how much you know, but how much you allow to penetrate. There's a big divide between the mind and the heart, between what you think and what you feel, and and I'm not just saying feelings are feeling sad, but it actually affects the way you feel. It, it guides your life. 
you know, many of us know we have to diet, but only at some stage in our life, hopefully, do we just, that penny drops. That's really the best analogy I could give. The penny dropping. Like, when it's just like, I get it. A lot of us know a lot of great ideas, but we don't get them. They, they don't penetrate us. They don't transform us. And interesting, Kabbalistically, Pharaoh, who's the, the villain of the Passover story, in, from a Kabbalistic perspective, he symbolizes exactly this. We're told that para, the word para, comes from slicing a neck. In other words, it refers to the neck. And Kabbalistically speaking, the mind, obviously is in the brain, you don't need Kabbalah for that, and the heart is in the chest. And between the, the head and the torso and the chest is the neck. The neck is that connector. And spiritually speaking, the neck symbolizes that valve, that connection that happens between what we think and what we feel and how we live. And Pharaoh comes to the neck. In other words, Pharaoh tries to create this divide. And Pharaoh comes and says, think whatever you want. Sure, yeah. Let's talk about godliness all day. Let's talk about faith. Let's talk about motivational stuff. But I'm not going to allow you to feel it, to live it. There are many great ideas out there. There are many motivational ideas. I'm talking about within Judaism and from outside of religion. There's so much inspiration out there. Gosh, I sometimes feel like I'm overdosed on inspiration. It's like literally just more inspiring, more inspiring quotes, and more and another great course, and this person's course is going to change your life, and that, and this rabbi, and this rabbitson, and this incredible motivational speaker, and this thinker, and this survivor, and it just tons of tons of inspiration. But how much of it actually changes us? Not because the inspiration is bad. This is not an attack on any you know motivational speaker or any any teacher. It's not an attack on myself. You know, I consider myself a teacher. But rather, what it says is, until the individual does not take one idea they heard, or one idea they learned by themselves, and allow it to fully penetrate, to go through the process of digesting it, just like matzah gets digested in your system, until we don't allow it to get digested, it won't change us. We don't get changed by good ideas. We get changed when we decide to make the good idea part of our identity when we become that idea. And that cannot happen through any great speaker. That can happen by nobody outside of us. Parents can do the best they can as parents to raise a child. And hopefully with all the good education they give, hopefully at some stage it will penetrate. But until the child decides, I want this to penetrate me, until the child decides that this is my identity, this is who I am, it won't change. So yes, you have a free hour, go listen to a great lecture, go listen to something inspiring, go grow your quantity of knowledge. Quantity of knowledge is extremely important, having a broad knowledge. But we also have to talk about, we have to focus on the quality of our knowledge, not the quality of the content, but the quality of how much it becomes part of us. Is it just another idea that sits somewhere in our brain, you know, gets stored away in some closet in our brain, or does it become the thing that I actually live with, that I actually allow it to penetrate me? And that's why we're told in the Talmud there were certain sages who would learn the same thing over and over dozens of times, not because they were fools, not because they had, you know, bad IQ, 
Not because they, they struggle to learn. No, but because they realize it's not about just me understanding it. I have to get it. And to get it, I have to review and review and think it over and sleep over it and, and discuss it with somebody else until at some stage it's like, aha, I get it. It's finally penetrating. And then, yes, it's great to get a piece of inspiration that will just light the fire. But inspiration only works if the person listening to inspiration has already worked on themselves to make themselves ready to transform. That made themselves open to really hear a great idea. In other words, here's what I'm saying in, from a different perspective. Nobody can change nobody. In other words, I can't change you. You can't change me. What you could do is you can be there for me when I'm ready to change and hopefully offer me the thing that I will decide then to grab onto and change. And hopefully I can do the same thing for you. But we don't change people. So even the greatest teacher and the greatest student, you didn't make that person. You were there at the right time and hopefully you offered great content. But every great teacher has a student that wasn't a great student. And every great teacher has at least one, if not many, of the students throughout the years who didn't necessarily get transformed through them. Why? Not because the teacher wasn't great, it's because the student and the teacher, the, the, the connection wasn't there and the student was not ready to hear that idea. They weren't connecting with it. In other words, we don't change each other. We change ourselves. And yes, giving good advice is great and running courses is fantastic and giving tips and giving shiurim, it's all great. But it's very patronizing and condescending to believe that we'll change anybody. Nobody gets changed by me and hopefully I don't get changed by nobody. I get changed by myself. And you get changed by yourself. And yes, good ideas might help us change, but only if I want to. Only if I want the idea to transform me. And that's what matzah comes and reminds us. Matzah comes and reminds you that all the mitzvahs are beautiful. Surrounding yourself by a sukkah, putting tefillin on your arm, looking at the Shabbat candles, shaking the lulav, going into the mikvah. They're all beautiful but they all have to lead to one thing, and that is it has to become part of you. And that's why Pesach is the holiday of freedom, because freedom only happens when you don't only think of freedom, not only when you do acts of freedom, but when freedom becomes your identity. You become a piece of freedom. You, you, you live it. It becomes the way you see the world. It becomes you. This is the great, great challenge of, of Pesach. The great challenge of Pesach is to take all the stuff, you know, think about it. We've been a year in COVID and gosh, we've had so many lessons to learn. We've heard so many motivational stuff of what we could learn about COVID. And a year ago, there was this big hope that COVID is going to change society and we're going to be totally transformed, hocus pocus. Nah, baloney. Maybe it changed us for a little bit, but not because we're bad people, just because nothing changes us until we change ourselves. Now, a year later, is the opportunity to actually say, okay, what's one lesson I could learn from this past crazy year? What's one thing I could take from all these months? You know, like 12 months ago, we were all talking about maybe we should become less materialistic and become more grounded. Six months later, not necessarily did we remember it. If we really believe and if we really want to become less materialistic and less vain, then we really have to work on it. We really have to eat that matzo. We have to allow that idea to penetrate us, to transform us. And to be changed, it's not easy. It's much easier to be inspired than to actually change. Now, before I, we play this beautiful Pesach medley 
with Michael Gamerman from England, uh, from Argentina. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avton from Linksfield Shul. We are four or five days before Pesach, four days before Shabbos. Shabbos leads up to Pesach. Lots to talk about uh, on that. I'm sure other rabbis throughout the week are going to be discussing how Pesach plays out. Um, this year, as it starts on Saturday night, feel free to reach out to your LOR, your local Orthodox rabbi, to find out all you need to know about Pesach. But today we're not talking about the laws, we're talking about the hashkafa, the perspective, you know, something to really live with. <laughs> That's really what we've been talking about, the idea of living with something. And it's funny because I'm kind of contradicting myself. Here I am spending an hour show talking about how inspiration is not enough and we have to change. And like I'm talking about that talking doesn't work. But hopefully what I hope could come out of this uh, show where we could learn together is that we that it's not a show. It's not a teacher. It's not a parent. It's not a leader. You know, often people talk about there's not enough leaders. It's not enough this and not enough that. It's not leaders who change us. Yes, is it nice if there are leaders out there? Fantastic. Is it nice if your rabbi, Rabbitson, is the most motivational, fantastic, charismatic person on the planet? I guess it's nice. Is it nice that, you know, if you had the incredible mazel, the luck, the blessing to meet world-class teachers, that you go on the internet and you know exactly where to find the best lectures? Is it? It's all fantastic. But that's not what people change. That's not what changes us. That's not what transforms us. What transforms us is to allow one drop to go in. And that reminds me of a great story. It's an analogy, but it's a story. Stories told about two fellows in Eastern Europe where it's very cold and it's a cold winter day. Very cold winter day. And they, they're traveling and unfortunately to their bad luck, they don't, they can't really afford transport so they're walking and it's freezing and they're like praying please if we could just get a bit of uh, easier time well to their incredible luck a wagon passes by and there's some space in the back amongst a bunch of barrels they ask the wagon driver can we hop along he says sure so they go they sit on the wagon and they start chilling and they start looking around and what do they notice that all these barrels are full of vodka full of alcohol now, this is Eastern Europe. They like their alcohol. But, you know, they feel bad. You know, they're getting a favor already. They don't want to ask for more than a favor. But they're shivering. They're freezing cold. So finally, they turn to the fellow that's driving the wagon and say, do you mind if we just have a kalichka, a little, a little tiny cup, a little uh, tart of uh, vodka? He says, sure. So they take these little cups. They fill it up. They say a l'chaim, and they drink it. And suddenly it becomes warm. Right? Alcohol warms the body. And one fellow turns to the other fellow and says, do you see? Do you see the message here? He says, I don't know what you're talking about. This response to the other guy. He says, don't you get it? We've been sitting surrounded by barrels, gallons, liters of vodka for hours. And it didn't give us one ounce of warmth. And then all we took is one ounce of vodka and drank it, and it warmed our body. In other words, you could be surrounded by barrels of inspiration. 
you could be surrounded by barrels of warmth. You could be surrounded, you could be engulfed, you could grow up in the most loving family and go to the best school and be surrounded by such greatness. And yes, hopefully that will give you a bigger chance to do well, but until the person doesn't decide to take one little cup, one tiny sip of all that love and warmth and make it part of them, it will not warm them. It will not warm them. And I've, unfortunately, I've seen it so many times with children, you know, who, whether they, they run away from home or they do terrible things to themselves, injuring themselves, etc. And often it's not kids that come from bad homes. It's not kids that come from trauma. It's kids that came from incredible love. But for some reason, whether through mental a mental illness or just some block, they never allowed that love to penetrate, and they never believed it. Therefore, they just went off the deep end. Until somebody doesn't take a sip of the inspiration and, and digest it and make it their own, all the love in the world cannot transform a person. So yes, the world needs a lot more love, but the world needs a lot more of us to actually allow the love in. Allow the love in. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. Chag Pesach Tashir V'Sameach, a kosher and happy Passover. A Pesach that will uplift us. A Pesach that will be brighter than last year's Pesach. A Pesach that will not only give us weight gain, but will allow us to actually be transformed. A Pesach where we'll actually listen to the messages, not only do the messages or read the messages, but allow the messages of this incredible Chag to penetrate. A Pesach that will free us, not only from the challenges from without, but the challenges from within, from our own darkness, from our own self-destructiveness, from our own bad ideas, from our own variables. Because one of the greatest acts of awareness that can happen in one person, in a person's life is when they realize that the biggest threat to oneself is oneself and the biggest salvation to oneself can only come from oneself. In other words, it's all on me. The whole thing is dependent on me and my decisions, my successes, my failures, my good decisions, my bad decisions. Ultimately, I'm accountable for them. That's not a guilt, you know, inducing thought. It's an empowering thought because it means that the world doesn't change me. I change myself. The world does not build me or destruct me. I do it to myself. That's the ultimate act of empowerment and self-esteem, and that's what it means to take ownership. So this Pesach, eat the matzah, ingest it, digest it, allow it to penetrate, allow godliness to become part of you, and allow the meaning and beauty of this Chag to transform you. As this beautiful melody from God Elbaz Manishtana, as these beautiful questions are sung, Think about these questions, but unlike the 50 times you've said that you've done these questions before or hundreds of times, maybe this time, let the questions actually transform you. What is tonight different than all other nights? This year will be transformed.